I want to talk through a couple things before we get into this. And because of where we're at as a a church right now, um, based on last week and and Brother Nick stepping down and seeking healing for him and his family, um, us in the leadership, um, us in the leadership, um, Jeremy and Red and I, are, uh, are going to try to be seeking the Lord as we've been and uh, just trying to understand what, what the next move is. And in the meantime, um, I don't know what that totally means for the formality of connection groups. Usually we have some kind of launch in the fall or um, and when it comes to the discipleship and, and maybe some formal ministries that we've had in the past. Um, but right now what we have and what I'd really love to encourage you, church, is to, is to if you can, make Wednesday nights a priority. Um, we've been doing Wednesday night prayer and worship um, this past year, and 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 honestly, I, I think um, that time on Wednesdays is uh, is incredibly important, and and even more so now um, that it's great, and we need to come on a Sunday and gather and hear the word preached. But man, if you can make Wednesday nights a priority, I think that's going to become our. Um, what connection groups we seek to accomplish through connection groups, I, I think we can find some of that on a Wednesday night. Uh, I'm praying and hoping that God will teach us uh, what true fellowship looks like, um, that we could experience that more on our Sunday morning gatherings, and also um, on a Wednesday night, that we could learn to make confession of sin a regular practice in our lives, that um, we come into closer um, intimacy and relationships with each other um that um and when i say that i mean men with men and women with women um uh, that that we could begin to confess our sins to one another and to pray for one another in a more focused way that's not so general and the usual things that we pray and and that only happens in close relationship and you're probably just not going to find that on a sunday morning that's, this is not all that the church was meant to be, is, is just to gather and come and hear a message, sing some songs and announcements and leave. But to, to be in close intimacy with one another where we know each other, where you can look at me and you can say, something's off, Hunter's faking it, Hunter's, I want you guys to know me that well, where I always feel safe because I know, man, they're going to see right through me if I, you know, start, you know, drifting in some way. I want you guys to know me that well. And, 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 you know, I probably won't know all of you that well. But there are many that I can point to in this room and say they know me that well. Um, and I hope, man, it is a tragedy if you do not have someone like that in your life. And so I want to, I want to encourage you to pray for that person. Someone that you can be real with. Someone that you can confess sin to. Not as your priest, as your brother or sister in Christ. This is what we're called to, church. That kind of intimacy. Where we are seeking the Lord together. Where we have a priority of, I must know Him. I must know Him. And I think um, Wednesday nights is a good time to cultivate that. As we come together and pray, do a little worship, and and have time to challenge each other. To fellowship together. Um, So I'd encourage you to come 6.30 on Wednesday nights if you can. or, Or even, man, if you're like, I can't make Wednesday nights then, man, talk to me. Let's figure out who, who can you connect with in here that you guys can get together and start doing a group that we can show initiative and say, man, well, if nothing formal's happening, that, that doesn't mean we 
We don't need to get together and study the Bible and pray for one another. Um, that you have total freedom to, to start something like that in your own home. Um, and I would encourage it. I, that's what connection groups were like trying to cultivate in us. That natural desire to, man, let's meet together. Let's fellowship. Let's eat together. Let's talk about what God's doing in our lives. Let's talk about what we're struggling with. What we want to see happen. And what we want to see God do in our lives. Um, so anyway, and then uh, just kind of a heads up on a, on a few things here. Um, in case anyone's wondering, uh, the Spirit has not given me personally any indication that I need to be anywhere else but here. Um, that, now that's, that's how I've felt all the six or so years I've been on staff. I, um, many times I've wanted to run when it's hard or run because I'm fleshly, and God just has never allowed me to. And, uh, and that's not to say I don't love being here. Uh, that's why I say sometimes I'm fleshly. Um, and so I just, I just want to give you guys a heads up. That's, that's personally where I'm at. It's not a guarantee of, guys, I'm here forever. It, it's just saying, man, right now, like, this is where God has me. And, and so I'm here. Um, and we have hired, uh, before Nick left, Donna Moreno. Um, sorry, Donna, put you on the spot. We've hired her as, as a secretary, so she's really helping with some things in the office. Um, and I've really enjoyed getting to know Octavio and, and Donna. Um, you guys have been such a rich blessing to our church, and maybe a lot of people don't know that. Um, so I'm not going to try to flatter you guys. I'm just going to approve the Lord's work in your guys' lives. And, uh, and, and Raquel Atwood, um, she's not here, so I can't put her on the spot, but I'll put Mike on the spot. That's his wife. Um, she is currently filling in right now uh, in, in Kidsville because some people weren't able to make it. But she is heading up our Kidsville ministries. And after our gathering today, we're going to have a, a meeting in there for all the Kidsville workers um, whether you're scheduled or not, if you are a part of the Kidsville team, go. She's got lunch um, that she's, uh, she's, she's bought. Well, the church is going to reimburse her. But um, she has prepared lunch, I'll say it that way, um, in, in Kidsville. So be sure to go to that meeting afterwards. Or if you're interested in volunteering with the kiddos, um, man, would, may I encourage you to do that, to, to take the work that God has done in your heart and now pour that into others. This is a great, easy on-ramp to be able to start practicing that. Um, if you're interested, go to that meeting as well, raid the food table, um, it'll be great. So I, with, with no more to do, Psalm 23, yes? Is your heart open? Are you awake? All right. May the Lord minister to us today. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. And a lot of you cringe right there because you're like, no, no, I shall not want that's, uh, that's the, we prefer the King James right there. I, I am with you on that. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Would your imagination run a little free this morning? Can you begin to picture this? Can you begin to let the poetry have its work in you? He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Now, we must not treat this 
as simply a nice statement, as only a religious teddy bear of poetic comfort. There's many times it is that for us. It's not less than that, that many times I've grabbed onto the psalm without understanding all of its meaning, and I've simply just believed it and held it like a spiritual teddy bear to comfort me, and that's, that's perfectly fine. But it is so much more than that. And today I want to meditate on its rich, richness. It is not less than that, but oh, it is so much more. We must believe this. What we just read calls you to faith. You must believe that it is true. You must learn to believe that it is true. We must know it to be true or it will profit us little. So Father, we approach the throne of grace this morning knowing that we are always welcome because of the blood of Christ. Oh Lord, may all of our agendas and plans and worries and fears be funneled right now through the through the lens that we do not deserve a thing today but the wrath of God. To sit in that for a second and to recognize how great is our salvation. How great is the reality that the Lord Almighty, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who slayed Egypt with plagues, that God reveals himself to us as a shepherd today tender and caring, though we do not deserve it. God, strike us with that astounding truth. Awaken our hearts, awaken our souls. As we just sang, Lord, we sing again. Awake my soul and sing. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. Open our eyes. Hinder whatever the enemy's work is today, Lord. The lies that he wants to plant, the apathy that he wants to continue to sow. The, um, just the blindness, Lord, the inability to see the richness here. Lord, you must open our eyes because I can say whatever and try to expound upon this glorious passage. But Lord, unless your spirit enlightens us to bring us into it, to make this our reality as it was for David, Lord, we will be lost. It will be lost to us. It will be wasted on us today. So Lord, give us ears to hear in your mercy. Lord, break out among us so that your manifest spirit has its work beyond what we want to control, beyond what maybe we think you want to do. Lord, have your way today in your people. You know how badly we need it. We trust you. Thank you that you're here present with us. And as we're going to learn the richness of your presence today, may we know it beyond our brain. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's just walk through this verse by verse. Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. What a great overcoming comfort this is. How many times I found myself drowning in a situation or just lying in bed and my mind is spinning when the gracious spirit brings this simple verse to my remembrance. It really does. It really does. In, in my experience, it dissipates a lot of fear and worry when I can just grab on and say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. I have what I need right now. Every lie must bow to this truth. I have what I need. I don't need that. 
I don't need to do this. This doesn't need to be taken care of. I have what I need right now. The Lord is my shepherd. He is with me. He is leading me. I shall not want. I have my shepherd. What else do I need? Would you breathe that in? Would you believe that today? Verse 2. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. There is continual provision. There is rest in Jesus. Do you know that rest? Do you enjoy green pastures and quiet waters with the Lord? Be honest with yourself. There's no shame in, in admitting the truth that maybe you don't right now. That's the first step to hopefully beginning to know these, to beginning to experience this. I think many of us prefer the King, King James Version when it says, He makes me lie down. And the Hebrew word here, ravat, can have that meaning, to cause to lie down. Oh God, would you cause me to lie down because it's the last thing I want to do sometimes when I would need to, I, I'm going to make this work. And maybe in procrastinating situations, the Lord doesn't need to make us lie down because maybe we're lying down when he's calling us forward. But sometimes when life is chaos and we feel the need to seize control, God, make me lie down right now. Make me submit to you. Make me surrender. The picture that David paints for us is heavenly, is it not? It's very perfect. It reminds me of one of those cheesy, um, I don't know, way back in the day, I don't know if it's Windows 98, the default desktop. It's just like this green, like, hill. Some, that's what I think of. I guess what I'm talking about. That's kind of what I think. It's like this cheesy kind of, you know, something you'd see on Facebook or something. Um, but that's not cheesy at all sometimes. It's exactly what my heart yearns for. Do you realize this is how safe we are with the Lord? This is why it's so sweet to trust in Jesus. He knows what we need at all times. Faith takes us into the spiritual reality that is this. Green pastures, quiet waters. So when the world is chaos, and the car breaks down, and there's conflict, and turmoil, and suffering and pain, faith elevates us into this greater reality. Greater reality, church, not fantasy. Because that's what our flesh wants to say. Yeah, that's, that sounds nice. That sounds nice. Yeah, right. No. This is where our faith must meet the word. This is our reality. The Lord is our shepherd. What else could we need? He leads us to green pastures and quiet waters. This is the power of God's presence so that in all that chaos, God is with me becomes something that means so much more than just those words. Something so much more than maybe we've known it to mean in the past. That simple phrase, which he's going to say here in the, in the next verse or two, for you are with me. That is our hope, church. That is our strength. That is our comfort. In the greatest pain, in the greatest suffering, when there are no other words, for you are with me. That transcends my suffering. That makes me 
not have to escape my suffering because he is enough in it, because he is greater than my current circumstance, my current suffering. The reality of his presence is actually greater. It doesn't always take me out of that suffering. We've said this countless times, but oh, how I forget. And in those moments, for you are with me doesn't mean a whole lot. God, I don't care. I've said this to God. I don't know how many times in just blatant confession. I don't care that you're with me. It means nothing. Get me out of this. Get me out of the fire. And you know why I say that? Because I have not grown to maturity. Because I have not grown to know this like David has. Would you lean in? Would you consider the fact that we have a long way to go in discovering the richness of this? God, you are with me. And so maybe it doesn't feel like anything in the moment, but I will cling to this promise. His presence is with me. You are with me. The Lord is my shepherd. He is with me. What could possibly threaten that truth? The the burning at the stake, being thrown to the lions, it didn't threaten this truth. The suffering of, of, of family carnage and sin that rips through divorce and neglect and abuse Can that threaten this truth? No. No. Say with faith, no. It cannot. Cry out in faith. Surrender. Fall into his arms. You know the Lord doesn't judge me or rebuke me when I tell him his presence means nothing. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean I'm in a good place. Doesn't mean I'm not sinning. It just means he's my shepherd and he's going to lead me and he's still with me all the same. He doesn't say, fine, my presence means nothing. I'll leave. Is that what you want? Oh, beloved, that is not the voice of your father. That's, that's not what he's saying to you. He is, his, my mercy is here, son. I'll still be here. It's okay. Throw a tantrum here. It's okay. It's not okay, but I've paid for it. And I'm growing you. Believe all the same. Cry out all the same to me. I'm with you. I'm not leaving. God is good. Verse 3. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Oh, how this world and sin and the flesh will wear on me. Has it worn on you? Many times. I don't know how I'm going to make it to live as long as some of you. God, how? I don't know how much longer I can take it. The sin inside me, the flesh, the world around me. It's, wear, it's wearing on me. How they will nag us and seek to constantly pull us down. We need renewal. 
We need restoration regularly. We need green pastures and quiet waters with the Lord. And that is the Lord's work. He must care for us. Your hope is not in how well are you caring for yourself. Your hope is God better take care of me. I need your care right now. I need my shepherd. I need his fatherly touch and care and provision and mercy. I need green pastures and quiet waters. So are you lying down in green pastures and walking beside quiet waters with him? Oh sheep, are you allowing his restoring, renewing work in your life? Or are there more important things for us sheep to attend to? Man, I'm just a really busy sheep. I gotta go eat this grass over here. I gotta find this grass. I gotta take care of these little sheep because clearly the shepherd doesn't do a good enough job. Isn't that crazy? How the lambs are also the shepherd's responsibility. God does not simply, keyword, tell the sheep, okay, you have young, you better care for those because, you know, I can't help you out there. I'll take care of you, but you better. No, all the sheep are his. All the sheep are God's. Not only are we made to lie down in green pastures and led by quiet waters, but our shepherd also leads us down paths of righteousness. You lead me in the right paths. Think of the journey we're going on here. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. I'm lying down and and drinking from the quiet waters. And now, in verse 3, we're being led in paths of righteousness. We're being led down paths now, church. Follow the journey of this poetry of David here. And here, lest we begin to think this psalm is all about us sheep, David wakes us up to the truth again. He leads us in righteous paths for his namesake. And as I was studying this, this sounds so much like the Lord's Prayer. It really does. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation. Don't lead us down the wrong paths, but deliver us from evil. Keep me in the right paths. It's a different wording, but oh, I wonder if Jesus had this on his mind when he was teaching us how to pray. This picturing here, this imagery. We must understand that the shepherd does not first exist for the sheep, but the sheep exist for the shepherd. Do not forget this. In his caring for us and leading us, it reveals the glorious nature of who he is in himself. Before it reveals how important and valuable us sheep are. There can be this idea that we just need to discover how valuable we are. All of my value and worth is wrapped up in the person of Christ. I don't demean myself and kick myself to the curb as if I'm worthless. I acknowledge the value He gives me. And I acknowledge my value comes from Him. I don't worship my own value. I don't spend my days meditating upon how much, I, how much I'm worth and how much I mean. I spend my days meditating upon 
how amazing it is that he would value me, that he would love me, that he has chosen me. How glorious is, is he? That is what this psalm reveals. That is what God leading us in right paths reveals. It reveals his amazing heart. <laughs> it reveals the glor- glorious nature of who he himself is, a righteous, good, loving father. So his care for us glorifies himself and reveals how awesome and amazing he is. How astounding is it that the sovereign, all-powerful creator of all things has chosen to care for sheep. He has chosen to reveal himself through David as a shepherd. Shepherds were not the mighty. He doesn't picture himself here as, as a warrior, as a king, though he is that, is he not? But through inspiring David to write this, God chose, yeah, I'm a shepherd. That's who I am for you guys. I'm your shepherd, the sovereign, all-powerful creator of the universe. Whatever he says goes. There is no opposition that stands before God. There's no opposition that stands before God that he does not allow. If he decides he doesn't want certain opposition, it is gone. It is gone. There's no threat to God. God has no threat. He has no fear. He has no worry. It's very scary for us who are totally dependent on him. And yet he says, well, I'm your shepherd and I care for you. This causes us to praise and worship. His name is exalted. So his leading us in paths of righteousness is for his namesake. Not simply so we can live a happy life. So that we can live the best life. Even though following him in paths of righteousness will lead us to that. It will lead us to abundance for which he created us. But first and foremost, it is for His namesake. Because our praise, our glory, our joy is most realized when we behold Him. When we behold the King of glory. It's not at Disneyland. It's not when the family is happy as can be. It's not when there's plenty of money in the bank. The best moments of life are when we behold our God. When he is being glorified by us. When we are enjoying him because we realize how awesome he is. That's, glo- that's us glorifying God. And I love it when it happens and we're not trying. That we're just caught up. And he's doing his work. He's glorifying himself. Because he is revealing himself to us. And we're seeing him and we're praising him. And we're broken and we're just like, wow. Nothing else matters. Just him. And this is our hope, church. Our hope is not that the sheep will continually find the shepherd and choose the right paths as if he has left us alone to figure that out. We are dumb sheep. We are dumb sheep. He is not so cruel. Oh, our glorious hope is that he will lead us into righteousness. And so we cry, lead on, perfect shepherd. Our hope 
Our strength is not, okay, I'll, we'll figure this out. I just got to find the right paths each day. I just got to find those paths of righteousness. Now nah, I need a shepherd to lead me in paths of righteousness. Because I don't find them. I find my flesh. I find gratification. I find sin. That's what sheep find. They find wolves. They find cliffs. They find death. That's what sheep find. Your hope is your shepherd. Our hope as a church is our shepherd. Our chief shepherd, Jesus. It's not Jeremy or Red or me or some pastor that's going to come along. It wasn't Nick before. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in our chief shepherd. Verse 4. Where do these paths of righteousness lead? Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. There it is, that promise, that hope. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And we see where the paths of righteousness will take us, dark valleys. Do you hear that? The darkest valleys. That's where the paths of righteousness will lead you. Mark it down. Don't be deceived. Our hope is not that our shepherd will keep us from dark valleys. Our hope is what we've been saying and what I believe to be the heart of this psalm. For you are with me. These words, this phrase, for you are with me, they lead us to the end of words. We have come to a cliff where words end. For you are with me. It must become more than words to you. It must become your reality. It, your faith must grab a hold of this. If this phrase is our hope, it must be more than words we read. We must discover God's withness, a term coined by Rut Etheridge III in his book, God Breathe. That's one of the resources at the table. It's a phenomenal book, and he coins a lot of good terms in there. And one of them is withness. We need to discover God's withness. That He is with us. We must know His nearness. We must believe it. How dependent I am as I'm writing this sermon this week and just thinking, God, you have to make this mean more to us than it does. You have to help us discover the riches. You must reveal this to us. The presence of God. The glory of that. The beauty of that. The overcoming reality overcomes any current distress we find ourselves in. It, it transcends, it lifts us higher. The presence of God must become real to us. It must become more than words. It must translate into our living, into our reality. So what are these valleys mentioned here? There's darkness in the valleys, we see that. There are threats of danger. Because he fears evil or he doesn't he says i will fear no evil in the valley just these two things darkness and threats of danger can describe many seasons and situations we have faced can they not we have been through many such valleys and we will we will go through more and perhaps the darkest valleys to walk through are those inside of us where sin resides don't miss this some of the darkest valleys you will walk 
are not circumstances you go through. It's not losing a job. It's not, you know, a relationship with a person. Your darkest valleys will be you walking with the shepherd as he leads. And he exposes your sin. And he shows you your vileness. And you feel so hopeless. You feel so lost. You feel so distant. And the shepherd's never been closer. And he says, come, my child, we we have to walk through this valley. Because on the other side, you're going to find renewal. On the other side, I'm making something, I'm doing something in you. I'm, I'm making you like Jesus. And no question about it, the paths of righteousness will lead you to face those valleys. But we will fear no danger, no evil, because of our grandest assurance. The shepherd is near and he's not going anywhere. So in those moments when I behold my sinfulness, when I behold my inability to love, because I'm so self-absorbed or, or selfish, when I behold my susceptibility to temptations and I observe all the experience of giving into those temptations. And I just feel the hopelessness of, God, what's going to be different this valley? What's going to be different next time I face temptation? What's going to be different? The shepherd is near. My hope is in you. You will deliver me still. And your mercy will be new every morning and you will not stop walking with me. So I'll get up and I'll walk through the dark valley. I'll face it. In his hands are the instruments of our increased comfort. The rod and the staff. And many of us should be familiar with these tools. They are for both protection and correction. This is again our comfort. The Lord's correction. Oh, how the Lord's correction has become an increasingly amazing comfort to me this past year. Do not run from it. Do not despise it. Behold the staff with its hook to lay hold on us in our wanderings and departures from the path of righteousness. Oh, God is faithful to pull us back, to wrap that thing so gently around our neck, sometimes not so gently, and to pull us back from the snares of death, from temptation, the staff. Behold the rod, which both defends against the wolf, the adversary, and also breaks the legs of the beloved sheep, lest in our stupidity we seek after the wolf or some fatal cliff. In both cases, the damage is far worse than a broken leg or two. Uh, I think many of you have seen this video, but I want us to meditate on this. Nate, you can go ahead and throw that on there. Let's, let's meditate on the richness of what we are beholding right now. <clears throat> We're just going to watch this a few times. We're just going to watch this. It's just going to loop.
That sheep has all the confidence in the world, doesn't it? It knows where it's going. This may feel awkward at this point, right? It's like, okay, we watched it. Do you understand what we're watching? Church, wake up. That's me. That's me. Watch. Ready? Hey, success. (laughs) Lord, break my legs. Please break my legs. Okay, Nate, we can stop. I think we've had enough. Lord, please break my legs. That sheep would be better off (laughs) if that kid just kind of snapped a tendon real quick or something. Oh, it doesn't feel like love, does it? The Lord's correction, the Lord's rebuke, discipline. When a brother or sister comes up and says, hey, what is going on? You've got to stop. You've got to change. And I hope you have people in your life that have said stuff like that to you. I hope that you can call a brother or sister in here, that that you have some kind of memory of someone doing that in your life. If not, man, I, I... I just hope we love like this. That we're not afraid to wound each other because we love each other not because we're looking for an opportunity to hurt and bite one another, but because we are so passionately pursuing the good of each other that we, we will gamble the relationship. We'll gamble the friendship because love is worth it. And God is faithful to wound us in love. Let's observe Hebrews 12. If you want to go there in the Bible, I'd encourage you. Hebrews 12. In verse 3, through 13. For consider him, Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, I've not studied enough to know what that means, but that's some pretty serious resisting of sin. I give in long before you know, I start bleeding because I'm, you know, resisting so hard. And you, have, you, and, have, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and punishes every son He receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it For our benefit, so that we can share his holiness. Do we value this? God disciplined me so I can be happier, so I can live a better life, so it's better in the end. 
God, discipline me so I can share in your holiness. Do we value that? Do we value God's work of making us holy? That is His priority for your life. Realize that. God wants you to share in His holiness, His otherliness. Therefore, oh no, no discipline, no discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Isn't that the case? Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. <laughs> I'm not going to give, you know, stories of my childhood, but let's just say I experienced this verse very vividly. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Dad. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weaken knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. That fits right into our Psalm 23 imagery. Well, if the Lord is leading you into right paths, make them straight, brothers and sisters. Don't try to find the line. Observe this last verse. The Lord is leading us in paths of righteousness, so make them straight for yourself. Don't make this harder than it has to be. Man, how many times does your parents say that to you? Don't make this harder than it has to be. <laughs> there's the easy way and there's the hard way. The, um, trying to find the lines and gratify our flesh just enough will not help the healing process. When the shepherd breaks our leg or legs, they will begin to heal. Don't resist the process and add dislocation because you will not surrender and accept his work in you. Humble yourself, sheep. May God's discipline be your comfort. When I have seen the potential of sin's damage and destruction this past year, how I've feared how I have feared for my own soul. What in the world is going to keep me on the path of righteousness? What in the world is going to keep me from giving into temptation? From following a lie? From being deceived? <sighs> when you ask yourself that question, the Lord's discipline becomes so attractive. God, please discipline me. Please pull me back again and correct me. Keep me on the path of righteousness. I know it has become, oh, I'm, it's like I, I start to say what I already wrote and then I read it again. So I apologize if I keep doing that. There are wolves. There are wolves, church. Paul tells the elders of, of, of Ephesus, he says, I know that when I leave, Savage wolves will come in and they'll arise from your own number. Be humble. Be sober. There is a beast called sin within you. That, as God told Cain, is crouching at the door, ready to pounce and rule you. That, that is the imagery that God gives Cain. He says, when, when Cain's all messed up and angry because God accepts Abel's offering and not his, 
God asks, what, what's wrong, Cain? Why are you despondent? Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. The stakes are high. There are many paths away from righteousness and only one path to it. This is one of the passages I was thinking about teaching on, and I think it fits here. Matthew 7, 13 through 15. Jesus instructs us, enter through the narrow gate. Picture a narrow gate. Picture a very narrow gate. Picture a not up to code, who built this, what in the world is this for, could I even fit through that gate? For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How many? Many. Many go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life. And few find it. How many? Few. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. How comforting is that? Not all the sheep are sheep. That's sobering. That is terrifying. What's our hope? The shepherd. The shepherd. That is your hope. For you are with me. How narrow is the gate? That gate is as narrow as Jesus, my friend. If you don't pass through Jesus, you don't pass through. You go through the other gate, the one that leads to destruction. Back to Psalm 23, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Here, David seems to take a slight turn and gently set down the sheep and shepherd imagery. The shepherd who makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside quiet waters is the father who sets the table for us and serves us while our enemies observe. Again, the very shocking imagery here. Our enemies are there. God is present and so are the enemies. Paul tells us we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our primary enemies are not the people that come to mind when we hear this. Our primary enemies are the devil, his horde, and don't miss this, the sin inside of you. Do you realize that humbles us all? You are here hearing this. It means you're already exposed. It means everyone around you already knows there's a bunch of sin in you. Whether you admit it or not, whether I admit it or not, y'all better know there's a bunch of sin in me. Sin that horrifies me. The the temptations I face, the thoughts that come into my mind, oh, they cause me to wonder. Am I saved? (laughs) Yes, I am. Because of Jesus, because of the shepherd. Not because I'm a pretty good sheep. Nope, nope, I just have a shepherd and he's leading me and he's keeping me from the wolf inside me. And I trust he will continue to. (sighs) 
those are our true enemies. It is not in the absence of our enemies that God is with us and provides for us. It is in the midst of those enemies. We are safe and nourished and kept and protected while our enemies surround us. While our enemies surround us. How? Again, for you are with me. I, I, can't, I can't complicate that. It's as simple as that because that is as beautiful as it can be. That is as saving as it can be. Emmanuel. God is with us. God is here. I do not care what the world says. I do not, in this, in, in this context, I do not care how many hypocrites there are. God is with us. All the questions and doubts that I have, God is with us. That's the only hope I have up here. If this is not true, none of this is comforting. None of this means anything. Leave now. You're wasting your time if that's not true. If that is not the greatest reality that is real right now. Now, much can be discussed regarding this next phrase of God anointing David's head with oil. There could be several things that this anointing suggests. But based on the imagery David is using, it can likely be describing David as an honored member in God's house. Anointing the head with oil was a common practice of hospitality when welcoming guests into one's home. But beyond this simple explanation, the ideas of purpose, consecration, and of being chosen are felt in this verse. God's favor is clearly upon David. That is how he sees himself. He sees God ministering to him. He's not met at the door of God's house by a servant who cares for him. He is met by the father of the house himself who has chosen to anoint him and honor him. To think that God honors us. Astounding. Is this how you see yourself? Favored and valued and welcomed into God's family and household by God himself? It is not a servant or angel that anoints David. It is his father, God. Now we are going to come to one of my favorite lines in the psalm, which we are going to sing in a bit. My cup overflows. I'm sorry if some of this sounds ingenuine because I'm reading it. I, I usually rehearse on the stage like three to four times. I just preach to the chairs. And I didn't do that once this week. Like I didn't have time at all. So I just wrote it all out. So I'm just going to keep reading. Thank you, Cindy. <laughs> affirm me, affirm me. All right, I, I, I didn't think this would take this long either as that's usually how it goes. At the beginning of this psalm, David says, I will not lack or I have what I need. This statement is similar in that his need, this, this statement, my cup overflows, is similar in that his needs are being met by the Lord. But now there's more than enough. There is abundance. God's goodness and kindness overflow in all of our lives. That's not a generalization. That's true. There is more love and favor and provision than we have the capacity to enjoy. 
Y'all remember my mom's cooking? Man, she would outdo herself. And come Christmas, come Thanksgiving, there is not enough capacity to enjoy what I see before me. That is the kindness and goodness of mercy of God in your life. You don't have the capacity for it. You can fill up on it as much and you just, it'll keep coming. You're like, I I don't even know what to do with it anymore. (sighs) How blind we are. How we waste and miss this wondrous supply ever flowing to us in Christ. It is so far beyond some material form of blessing, some materialism abundance, materialistic abundance. Christ who is our life, His Spirit is a well of life within us. He is in you. My, how we suppress and squander this abundance. But get this, my, how His mercy continually flows all the same. If He will not leave, then this fountain will forever flow unceasingly, whether we avail ourselves to it or not. Again, that picture is heavenly, And so desirable. How can we keep from suppressing and squandering this though? How do we enjoy this overflow? Again, we find the word must be met with faith. We must believe that what we are reading is our reality. That in your moments of discontentment, in your moments of pain, in your moments of entitlement, in your moments of anger, my cup, overflows and not with anger not with what my emotions are bubbling with but it overflows with the mercy and goodness and provision of God that is a statement of faith you tell yourself not something you conjure up feelings for and many times they come many times this verse is is, it just it is it's like magic I'm, I'm being honest it's like, a, it's like breathing. It's like a fresh breath of, ah, oh, that's right. My cup overflows. And other times, God, I don't believe that. I, how, how do I believe that right now? I doesn't feel like it. My cup overflows with something else. It overflows with emptiness. <laughs> Just spilling out. Or loneliness. My cup overflows. It must overcome our experience and momentary feelings. That's what faith does, church. That is what faith does. It must hold authority. This verse must hold authority in our lives. So in my weakest, worst moments, in my darkest valleys, I can say with the assurance that faith brings, not feelings, my cup overflows. I have so much more than I need because I have Christ Christ is enough, which we're going to sing and proclaim in a minute as well. And it that and it and it that sounds. And if that sounds insufficient, beloved, this is the mystery of our faith. That's the mysterious thing about faith. How else am I to explain it? You cannot use a formula or a five-step process to produce guaranteed enjoyment of the fountain of God's presence and provision. I can't offer that to you. That would be the works of the flesh trying to make this happen. The flesh cannot produce this, this overflow, this abundance. 
You must experience. You must know it by faith. You must cry out independence for what only God can cause you to experience and know. Beloved, get really good at crying out to God. That is my encouragement for your Christian walk. Get really good at being broken. Get really good at crying out to the Lord. Verse 6, we're there. The last verse. You with me? Okay. Oh, another verse that challenges our faith. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Observe the very next line. Only, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me? And not in certain moments. No, all the days of my life. We say, how can that be true? There are a thousand undesirable things chasing me throughout my days, not to mention the terrible things that have been chasing me throughout my life. And you have been running. And whenever you look back, you're like, nope, don't see goodness and mercy. I see the trauma. I see the shame. I see the regret. That's what I see. I see the fear. Got to keep running. Oh, but, but there is something that's catching up to you. That's always been there. Always been there. Do you have eyes to see? Do you have ears to hear? Brother, sister, are you here right now? Hopefully that's a yes. Then it is because God's mercy and goodness have delivered and currently are delivering you. Do you realize you'll never know how much God has delivered you from? How much goodness and mercy He has poured out on you? It's like that song, Here I Am to Worship, and I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. I, I don't even have the, the capacity to be able to see God's goodness and mercy throughout my life. But man, he does allow us to see glimpses. You can look back, can't you? And you can see God's goodness and mercy. Surely you can. And it is chasing you. We live in the goodness and mercy of God. We're here right now in his goodness and mercy. It is by his mercies that we are not consumed. It is by his mercy that he has not given us over to our pleasures. As he does in, to those unbelievers in Romans where he gives them over to do whatever they want. That's God's goodness and mercy. You're in a gathering of believers. That's goodness and mercy. Keep losing my place. We live in the goodness and mercy of God. His love outruns our worst fears. His goodness is here. Oh, cry out to the Lord that he might deliver you from blindness, that he might deliver you from unbelief. And deception. His goodness and faithful love have never once departed from you. He is holding you up. He is behind you and all around you. As David says elsewhere, he is my shield, my rock, my fortress, etc. Beloved, God is good to you right now. In the pain, in the doubt, in your sin, God is good to you. That breaks our mind 
That, that breaks our intuition. That breaks our assumptions. God's not good to me while I'm sinning. No, he's good to you in the midst of your sin. That's how amazing our God is. That's how merciful he is. And you see, oh, man, when you read scripture, observe that. Observe God's goodness in the midst of sin, in the midst of people's sin. How good he was to David in the midst of his sin. I mean, David's choosing multiple wives for himself. I'll never get over this. It's like, I need to stick to this, but I'm not. It's like David has this beautiful, like, romantic relationship with his, his wife, Michal. And then he gets another wife, and you're like, well, that's gone. There went all the romance, and there went all the beauty of God's design for marriage. And, and David's passive. And you see God's goodness just overflowing to this man. And it's interesting, we never know when David wrote this. Some assume it's when maybe he was young and he was shepherding. Okay, we're getting to the end. We're getting to the end. The final statement. I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Considering the context of David's life, this is an extremely interesting thing for David to say. Throughout David's writings, we see a love for God's house. Almost to the point where we kind of just like, what do I do with that? I I don't really know how to relate to that. We see a love for God's house. But what is odd is that during David's life, God did not necessarily have a house. During David's life, God just had a tent that David pitched when they brought the ark back that the Philistines had taken years and years before. Now we know David had a great desire to build a house for God, which God approved of. But God chose David's son Solomon to actually build it. So why does David say this? Does David mean he's going to live in the same tent with the Ark of the Covenant until he dies? No. What is attractive, what, what is attractive about God's house? Whether we are talking the tent David pitched, the tabernacle of Moses, or the magnificent temple Solomon built. What's attractive? It is the theme we've been tracing through this entire psalm. David wants because God is there. God is there. The presence of God. For you are with me. That's what David wants. That's what David wants more than anything. And you see that over and over again in the psalms. And I believe David is speaking prophetically for our sake as he often did. Because when Jesus took his final breath on the cross and that veil in the Jerusalem temple ripped apart, God's presence was no longer confined to a geographical location. It broke out. And now that presence of God that David so desperately yearned for lives in believers. How? How could we grow apathetic with such a glorious truth that's been given to us? David yearned. To, to dwell in God's house. But church, God's house is in you. you. You are God's house. The desirable thing about God's house is in you. What David wanted is now inside of us. The Spirit of God, the presence of God is not just with you. He's in you. He's in you. Because of the cross, because of Jesus, we are the house of God, church. 
It's not this building. We have not gathered in the house of God today. We have gathered in the house of God today. Because you are the house of God. We will dwell in God's house as long as we live. And, we will dw- and He will dwell in us. This is the church. We are living stones that comprise God's house, as Peter tells us. 1 Peter 2.5 You yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, after saying all this, look at the context of David's imagery. God is setting a table and anointing David. His words are spiritual. He's not even talking about a certain building or location here. When he says God's house, he's not even actually referring to a temple or a tabernacle. He is talking about God's household in which he is a rightful member because of God's goodness and faithful love, God's mercy. He says, man, I will never be cast out. I will live in God's house as long as as I live. That's all of us who believe. You have a place at the table. Stop hiding in some, you know, forsaken room in the house or some closet. Come to the table where your father is anointing you and choosing you. How we say with the sons of Korah in Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of armies. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow, a nest for herself, where she places her young. Near your altars, Lord of armies, my King and my God. How happy are those who reside in your house, who praise you continually. That's us. You reside in God's house. May that humble you. May it lift your spirit, your heart, wherever you are. You're in God's house. And many who go the way of destruction do not know that. Many will never experience what you get to live in. God's house. That's the narrow gate. You're a member in God's house. You're a rightful member because of Jesus because you have put your faith in him, because he has saved you. Better a day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than live in the tents of the wicked people. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord grants favor and honor. He does not withhold good from those who live with integrity. Happy is the person who trusts in you, Lord of armies. The continual, glorious, and majestic presence of God is always with us. We are always in His presence. Come Monday morning, approach the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the Holy of Holies, and find His grace afresh. Come Tuesday afternoon or Friday evening or Saturday morning. His burning presence has not wavered and it has not diminished. He is with you. He is with us, church. We are living stones of His house. Christ is the cornerstone, not a pastor or a leader. Christ. It is God's presence we seek and long for. Do not settle for less than this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live.
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this psalm. Forbid, forbid it, Lord, that I should just preach this. That I should present this with passion and belief and yet not see it in my life. So please, God, please let me see this again. Please let me know your comfort. Please let me know your presence more than I do now. Grow my capacity. Wash me from this world. Wash me from the ways of my flesh, from the patterns of unbelief and, and, and self-protection and selfishness and self-seeking and, 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 and lust and greed. Lord, our hope is in Jesus alone. Please may that be true. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. There's no frame, there's no um, picture of something desirable that, that I could put my hope or trust in, only in Jesus' name. It's a deception. All it is is a picture, but Jesus is the real thing. I welcome you, church, to come and cry before the Lord, to come cry out to Him, or there in your seat. Are we in a hurry this morning? If you need to grab your kids, you can grab your kids. If you want to give your life to the Lord, nothing's stopping you. There in your seat or here in the front, come. You're welcome. Let's pray. Let's seek His face. Let's find our shepherd this morning, amen? Let's take a few moments and then we'll sing.